Hi, this is Tamika Kasten-Miller, and you are listening to Think, Flow, Grow. At the end of this and every episode, you will find a meditation, so stay tuned. Well, hello, everyone. This is Tamika Kasten-Miller with Ashe Yoga, and I'm here in Houston, Texas, thinking about affirmations, tribes, and manifesting your best life. Remember, I was um, a pretty young girl when I realized that I didn't really fit into my extended family. I remember having people in my life when I was younger who, who had issues with the way that I spoke, Um, at that time, there was a period of time when I was really young in which I didn't talk at all, uh, to, and it wasn't any form of anything on any spectrum or anything. I just didn't feel comfortable talking, uh, to people who are outside of my nuclear family. And what's interesting is that as I got older and I remember watching, uh, Oprah Winfrey when she was quite young and she was just new on the scene. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this woman, she, she talks like me. So for years, what had happened with my family, my extended family, is I would get told that I talked white, um, that I was, quote, sedity and things like that. And this was coming from um, family members who lived in, um, Southern Louisiana, and I guess had bought into a specific point of view of what blackness looked like. <clears throat> I found it interesting that blackness didn't look like educated, or blackness didn't look like articulate, uh, blackness didn't look like um, expanded vocabulary. I found this very interesting, and now in my age and and with the the areas in which I've studied, I realized that this was really, you know, a colonized mindset of what blackness was supposed to be and look like. This idea of blackness really came from um, the colonizer and really came from the oppressors saying that uh, black people should not gain an education, should not be able to read, should not uh, be able to um, do this, that, and the other Black people were, as we all know, were just considered as as human cattle. No, I mean, <clears throat> there was no redeeming quality to black people besides one's ability to be able to work. And I find that this colonial hangover is something that still plagues us today in defining what blackness is supposed to be and do and how we are supposed to suffer to have street cred or whatever. And that's just not my experience. I remember being in college at the University of Texas and being around people who presumably had never had black people in their lives before. And uh, they would uh, come to me and, and tell me things that were like, oh, well, you know, this is, you're not like black people that I've known or I've seen, known or seen on TV. And I was just like, a, you know, this is this is how I am. This is how my mother is. This is how my sister is. Um, <clears throat> you know, for me, within my own family structure at home, that is, um, that was pretty normal. My mother was an avid reader. Um, my sister and I both went to good schools. You know, being, uh, and my brother, <laughs> he was much younger. He didn't come around until later. But we all, you know, talked the same way and did the same things. And uh, so it wasn't a weird experience to be someone who was, you know, articulate or whatever. That was just how I was raised. My father was an engineer. You know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And these experiences were things that people did not expect from a, a black girl. They believed the stereotype of, you know, this, you know, this um, absent father and the um, and the, you know, kind of ghettoized mentality that we still see today. And for me, that was so rare. I remember telling people, you know, I don't, I've never, 
I, I've never lived in the ghetto. I've driven past it <laughs> from the suburbs. And that was just such an odd sensation for people who didn't know where to, to place that. And of course, within my own family, and I think this probably has a lot to do with my mother being kind of a person who um, wanted to create distance between her family and us. You know, perhaps there was some rancor there about us being in North Dallas and everyone else being, you know, everywhere else. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the rationale behind uh, that. All I know is that when people see people of color as behaving in a certain way, that is the colonizer's perspective of placing those people in a box. And so for a long time in college, I just remember having this um, sensation of, of trying to find people who were like me. I was at one of the large, the second largest university at that time in the United States. So I knew that people like me were out there and they were, and it was fantastic because I was able to find a community of people who looked and acted and sounded like me <clears throat> because we were all in academia. Of course, that's where people are going to be. Um, I remember too, when I got pregnant, which was at 20, I had this huge fear. And the funny thing was the fear was not of being a single mom. The fear was of being, of, uh, was of reinforcing stereotypes. That was my fear. That was my whole fear. I didn't want people to just see me as someone who was, was doing what everyone on TV said that black women did, which was, which was, um, essentially get knocked up, have lots of kids and blah, blah, blah. Again, that was not my experience. And I, I certainly didn't want to represent that. Now, my daughter is incredible and brilliant. And, you know, this is now 24 years later and she herself is a university educated woman going out and doing her own thing. But at the time, you know, no one saw that as my potential. And I even remember my mother saying, you know, you can't leave school. And I, I was having a really difficult time, a really difficult time. And my mom said, you cannot leave school because if you leave school, you won't come back. And I thought to myself, you know, even my mom thinks that, you know, I'm of the same category. That wasn't what she was saying. She was saying, don't leave school because that's what moms say. I remember telling my daughter the exact same thing. <clears throat> but, you know, it was it was scary for her too, I imagine. And, and I did. I had to leave school. This is the 90s. I had a, a baby lying down on my lap while I was in a computer lab. I didn't have a personal computer. I didn't have any of those things. It was uh, 1994 uh, that I got pregnant, 1995, in which I had my daughter. And I, I just didn't have it like that in 1995. The only people putting me through school were myself and the federal government, <laughs> my scholarships. And, and so um, I had to take time off. I just remember my, my last semester, <clears throat> my last semester um, was horrible. I, I really enjoyed my classes, but it was so difficult to be there and be a mom. And I was so overwhelmed just trying to appease my mother, who I respected greatly. And um, I just didn't take my finals. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. And so I didn't take my finals. I left and I went into the workplace and developed my skills as a bilingual woman. Um, and that was what I did. And I, and I worked for a year, year and a half. And then when I went back to school, it was a challenge because at that time things were different. My student loans had gone into repayment. I didn't realize this. Um, those letters were going to my permanent address, which was my mother's house. She was used to getting mail for me, um, which was in a different city. And I never picked up my mail because I never went home. I, I didn't enjoy going home. And so my loans were going into repayment. And of course, if you don't know your loans are in repayment, you don't know how to pay them. And, um, so I was, I went into default on my student loans um, I also then was no longer uh, enrolled 
uh, in school, which I didn't realize because when I went and I talked to someone about unenrolling that last semester, <clears throat> that last semester that I decided not to take any of my finals, when I did that, it was like a, a, it created the amount of time that it takes for you to have been out of school um, for long enough to no longer be enrolled. So I was no longer enrolled in school. So I'm no longer enrolled in school. I have to somehow get enrolled. I have to somehow pay for my things. I have to somehow figure out my student loans. It was it was, it was was crazy. I can't even imagine doing what I did back then. But what I did do is I did all the things. I remember distinctly attending classes before I was actually enrolled. So I ended up getting enrolled but I was not able to register for classes because I couldn't afford them and just a whole lot of things. So I, I was auditing the classes until I could get permission from every single department and every single professor and dean that I could take the classes late. And oh my gosh, it was just a mess. But I did get back in. I had a year and a half left and I studied my butt off. And for the first time I got A's in classes because the first time around when I was in school, I didn't really care about A's. I cared about the experience. And I still am kind of that person who really loves the experience of things, but it doesn't serve well in undergraduate <laughs> studies. Mm -hmm. But I found myself really intrigued with the material and, and learning. Um, I went to the film school at the University of Texas, and I was deeply intrigued with how um, people craft images and craft roles, craft identities, how the way that we view one another is something that's absolutely created and crafted by media. And I was super intrigued with this. So instead of uh, going into the tracks in which I would produce or write films, I went into the criticism area, which was far more interesting for me. I did not know then that that, that that would serve me so well later in life because I would later learn how to use those stereotypes to my advantage, which ended up being quite interesting when I was in corporate America. But I did finish university and I remember graduating and crying when the tower lit up orange and I felt like it lit up orange just for me. I remember walking into the procession and turning and seeing my daughter who was three, my mother and my best friend, all in the audience waving and so proud of me. To date, that, that moment is burnished on my mind because I didn't have anyone else. I didn't have anyone else doing it for me. I had to do it for myself. And I just remember being so proud of myself and thinking, I know my daughter will be too young to remember this, but hopefully she'll, she'll know eventually. That feeling of not having anyone who kind of gets you or who's in your experience, I think can really send a person in a couple of different directions. I think one, th through isolation, it can send a person to despair and depression. But for me, it really was important for me to be who I was and to see it through. I still had in my brain this image of a young Oprah Winfrey who I deeply respected, who seemed like she was completely in a class of her own, who spoke in a way in which I spoke, who approached the world in a way in which I hadn't seen before, who looked like me. She was a full-figured woman. She was a black woman. And I, I just remember seeing her and thinking, she is a trailblazer. I just remember looking for trailblazers at that point and thinking, I'm not trying to do something ordinary. I My life is meant to be extraordinary. And I refuse to live my life in a small way. And I remembered that the day that I graduated. And so... As I'm graduating, I'm thinking to myself, yes, this is me getting ready to step into the fullness of who I am. And who that person was then is different who, to who that person is today. 
in terms of what I wanted. When I graduated, I actually in that time had gotten uh, married and, <laughs> and separated by the time that I graduated from university. And um, I just decided this is the, the life that I'm going to create is going to be one in which my daughter does not realize that she is different in terms of our financial situation. So uh, my, I set my goal to create income that was the, a two-person income, even though it was just going to be from me. And so that's exactly what I did. I went into the world of technical recruiting. And uh, this was a very lucrative world at that time, uh, especially in Austin, Texas. And I just remember making copious amounts of money. And it was so important to me to make that money and to give my daughter what she wanted and what she needed to live in an area of town which was safe, to put her in a private um, school situation where she would get an education that I wanted for her just not what she could just have. And um, it was so important for me to, to do this for her and for myself. And so that's what I did. It was at this time that I really recognized all of the people along the way that I did have that were um, with me. Because you have to understand that for a long time, I thought that I was really doing things on my own. But it was in that time that I realized that I'd had the daycare worker who really kind of became a part of my family, who gave me a great discount before I had the ability to pay for daycare, who told me when I needed to put my daughter down and she needed to start crawling and this and the other. You know, someone who really saw me as partnering with me to help me um, raise my daughter. Then there were the friends who were around who had babysit her and who would be moms to her when I weren't when I wasn't around? And mind you, it wasn't all of my friends, but it was. It, there were several friends who, who came through like that, and who were integral parts of my daughter's formation at that age. And it was it was a really beautiful um, situation. But you know, when you're in it, you don't really see all of these people, all these people who are really helping you uh, along the way. Of course, I didn't see all these people who were helping me along the way because it felt very lonely kind of being the only person in my my group who was doing this, which I think a lot of young mothers um, find or like young parents find. But I did realize at that time how important it was to have a tribe of people. The tribe of people, there were people who got me, even though they weren't people who were necessarily in my situation. They just understood and they just showed up for me. And anyway, so I go into corporate America, make great money. Um, it was around that time that I realized life would be easier if I lived somewhere else. Also, I started to look around me and um, I didn't really see a lot of people of color who were leaders within the Austin community. They were, there were no faces on TV. There were no people on the radio who were real leaders. And my best friend from college lived in Houston and I'd gone to Houston a lot and um, they had a black mayor and black people on the news. And so there were, there were role models and I wanted my daughter to see a role model that was not me because I had already lived the experience of people telling me how unique I was for being an articulate, educated black woman. And I knew that I was not unique in that. I knew that there are educated black people all over, but the problem is, is when you don't see it, the people around you are going to think that you're special. And I'm, I'm certainly not special. At least that's not how I'm special is by being educated, articulate and, um, and smart, you know? So I moved to Houston where my daughter would be able to see other people of color and black women and black men who were doing things and who were who were real, who were just visible. It wasn't even that they were role models. They were just visible. To date, my daughter will tell you, you know, um, how different the experience is in going places where there aren't people of color who are in positions of authority or visible positions because that's what she grew up with. That was what was normal for her. Um, Houston is now the most diverse place in the United States, uh, surpassing New York City. And 
where she went to school was a place called Aleph, Texas. And Aleph is the most diverse district in the United States as well. So she grew up with people who were from different parts of Africa, different parts of Asia, um, from different situations, financial situations, religious situations. So diversity is something that was that she always had that I didn't have. So this relates to tribes and manifestations because of uh, in 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 two ways. The first is for sure. I was manifesting the life that I wanted from the start because I knew that I wanted to finish school. And so I did, even with a child, I just had to postpone it a little bit longer than my, than my peers. I knew that I wanted to give my daughter financial security. And I did at least as far as what she could see, there were definitely times in which we were financially insecure and there was some financial instability and those times did come up because life happens because when you're a single mom and you have someone who is not as involved as you would like to be financial stability instability is going to be a thing um, especially when there's not a, there's not a generation of wealth preceding you and so I I that was precisely what happened is I, <clears throat> there was financial stability, but there were always people who were there to help. But at the same time, like I said, there are two things that happen when you're in situations in which you're kind of the only one. And one is you either get depressed and isolated or the other is you, you make your way and you start trailblazing. And that's what I did. I started making my way. There was a point in which I started realizing that I no longer fit within corporate America. I didn't like the corporate America structure. I didn't like that uh, one of my, I remember the COO of my company. Um, I worked with him closely and I remember him looking at an individual and saying, yes, but is he worth the, is he, is he $45,000 worth of good? And I just remember thinking, wow, how is it possible that you can look at a human and see dollar signs on them? And it wasn't just him. That was just the corporate America structure, you know? And I realized this is not for me anymore. At that time, too, I got into discernment about what I really wanted to do because spirituality had become important to me. I moved to San Diego. I was attending um, a brilliant and beautiful um, church called St. Paul's Cathedral, which I still call my spiritual home because it was just so beautiful, diverse, and accepting of all people and all walks of life. And um, I had been doing a spiritual direction program in which I, I, I was learning to become a spiritual director and flying back and forth between Texas and California to complete that program. It was a three-year program. And so as, of course, I was on my spiritual development, then what I wanted shifted. And for sure, what I did not want was corporate America. I also just remember thinking to myself, okay, I really don't have a community here in San Diego because I'm not from here. So what I need to do is create that. And also, at some point, I need to decide whether I'm staying here or I'm going back to Texas ended up going back to Texas because um, the circumstances were just easier. You know, Texas is cheaper than California, of course. And when I came back, my tribe had totally shifted because it was also at that time in which I came out as bisexual and the people who were my friends at the time just did not get it. They got lesbian and they got straight. They didn't get someone who was interested in the human, regardless to what was in between their legs. That was just not something that, that this group could get behind. And I think that they would probably say that they could, and they could not. Um, I remember so much in isolation at that time, just feeling like I did not fit within any, either of those communities and any community. And so I had to create my community. And so yet again, I set this goal of creating a community 
And I've found my tribe by utilizing groups, social groups, in which I could find people who are like me. And so I did. Fast forward to today where, you know, I went from going from corporate America, which I knew was no longer for me, to deciding, no, I didn't want to become a priest, but I really, really enjoyed that education on becoming a spiritual director, to deciding I didn't necessarily want to be a spiritual director. Um, however, what I did want to do is become an educator. Mind you, all of this time, I was also a yogi. I started at home, and around the time that I decided to become a teacher is when I decided to look for a studio. But I, I wanted to become a teacher because I figured, you know, there are other kids who are like this, who don't really know their potential. And, you know, I feel like if, if I can get in there and, and let them know my children of color, if I can let them know that, you know, I speak fluent Spanish and they'll, they'll, that'll kind of blow their minds and they'll get super curious about what they can do too. And that's exactly what happened. Kids got really curious about what their possibilities could be if, if this black woman spoke Spanish like a native speaker, maybe they could too. And so just by being in the room and speaking Spanish, I became this role model to them, which is a beautiful thing. And more beautiful was letting them know that they had these opportunities within themselves, these dreams within themselves that they could bring to fruition. And every year I would tell kids my story about being that girl who was knocked up in college and all of the work that I had to do to get back in, all of the work that I had to do to attend classes without actually being registered to um, organizing my life to where I had someone who would watch my daughter and going and getting married, getting divorced, deciding to do life on my own terms, developing my language skills at the same time. And they were just fascinated by it because they had heard the same crap stories about who they were and who they were meant to be their whole lives. You know, maybe not from their parents, but certainly from media who certainly craft a single story about what black people can do and what our potential is and what Latinos can do and what Latinos potential um, uh, is. And they were just like, you know, maybe I, there is another way. Maybe there is another way besides trying to be the performer or the athlete or what have you. Maybe there's another way and maybe that way is through education or just finding a dream and following it, which was all I did. At the time, I didn't know it was a dream. At the time, what I knew was that this was the way I wanted my life to look. And I just created the steps to make it happen that way. Even becoming a teacher, it was the same thing. I knew that by the time my daughter was 13, I wanted to be more present because corporate America, at least for my world, involved a lot of travel. And even though I enjoyed travel, I didn't enjoy being away from my daughter all the time. And so I knew that being near nearer to her during the, these formative years was going to be really important. The crazy thing is, is that when I became an educator, she was 13. You know, it was speaking my future into existence every single time. There is such a power in speaking to what it is that you want for your life what it is that you desire deeply, tapping into your heart's desire and your heart's truth to say, this is what I want for my life. This is going to happen. And there are lots of people who will say there are methods and things that you should specifically say, framing things in the present tense or um, framing things in the uh, perfect tense, actually, like by the year 2000, blah, 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 I will have done that a lot. You know, there are ways in which people believe that this should happen in order for you to manifest your dreams. But the reality is that there is no specific way that you have to say it. What you say will happen. What you, the words that you put out there will happen in your life, one way, shape, or form. If you sit there and say that 
I hate my job. I hate everything about my job. I don't, I don't, you know, this job pisses me off. They don't pay me enough. I'm so tired of this, blah, 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 blah. I don't know how many people I've run into who do that. And then six months later they get fired or their situation changes to where they're pushed out of the company or the organization to where they have to quit because they hate their job. If you say that you hate your job, then you're going to hate yourself right out of that job. And that's, that's fine. <laughs> but don't be surprised when it happens. Do not be surprised when it happens when you say, I hate my job. I don't want to be here. And you're not there six months later. It will happen. This is, this is something that I have seen time and time again. And I've even told people, be careful what you say, because you can be manifesting yourself getting fired or yourself being uh, quitting. I remember saying that to a woman with whom I worked in education. And when she did get fired, um, which in education happens by putting you into a situation you really don't want to be in because they don't like to fire anyone. It's too much paperwork. But what they will do is they'll put you in a really crappy situation to where you're like, I don't want to do this. This isn't my role. And they're waiting. They're, they, they're trying to get you to quit, right? So I remember telling this woman that she would always complain on social media. Oh, I hate my job. Blah, blah. I said, be careful what you say, because you, you know, it's my experience that when you put that type of energy out there, you lose your job soon after. And sure enough, it happened. And this woman deleted me off of her Facebook because she thought that I had spoken to someone about all the crap that she was said, she said all the time. I just thought it was hilarious. I'm like, no, you did that to yourself. You sit there and you say that, that's what's going to happen. If you sit there and say, I'm so tired, I really need a break, I need to take some days off, and you do not actively, proactively take those days off, guess what? You're going to be sick like a week or two later because you said you needed some time off. You did not proactively go take that time off, but you said, I need some time off. I need to take a break. I need like a week off or I need an extra day or blah, 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 blah. You're going to get sick, and then that time is going to be given to you. Now, this is different than, well, I'm not going to say it's different than the law of attraction, but I will say that I'm not a person who lives by the law of attraction. I know it might sound like that, but <clears throat> or at least that book, The Secret, not into it. And the reason for me is because I know people who have gone through horrible things. I know women, well, if you know a, if you know five women, you know... At least one of them has been raped or um, has been has had something horrible happen to her just because she was a woman. I refuse to believe that those women attracted that situation. I refuse to believe that people who have had horrible things attracted that situation. I can't get behind it, so I will never ever be a person who can 100% um, support the secret or the law of attraction or things like that. I'm sorry, I can't. Did Native Americans attract a complete and total genocide of their culture, a decimation of culture? You know, it's such a privileged concept to believe that everything that you want, you attract, that somehow you're attracting all of these things. That's privilege. That's such privilege. I can't get behind it because you know what? There are countries and, and, and communities that have been absolutely decimated by people who valued power over everything else. And those communities, I do not believe in, I refuse to believe attracted that. So I will not stand by that. But what I will say is that if you put out there negative things, negative things are going to happen. If you put out there positive things, positive things are going to happen. But I do not believe that everyone speaks into existence their entire situation. Life happens, shit happens, and not all of it is awesome, right? So getting back to speaking into existence, this has happened yet again, in which now that I, I remember taking my final position as a classroom educator, and I remember taking that position that... Um, didn't use my master's degree. And I said, you know what, I'm going to give this campus three years. And if they don't have this position that I want available, I'm out. I ended up loving the school, loving the campus, loving the kids, everything about them, blah, 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 blah. And three years later, 
my love for all of it just changed, not for the kids. I still love the kids and I miss the kids dearly, but my love for the campus changed. My love for um, teaching changed. All these things changed. And so I just, I, I started, you know, going into that, oh, I don't know if this is for me, blah, blah, blah. It just, I'm just so tired. I'm so just kind of over this and da, da, da. And I said, you know what? It's time to leave because I am not going to be the type of person who is going to be complaining to my peers about my life and about my situation and about uh, uh, my job when it is a career that I chose, when it's a job that I chose, you know, all of those things, I was an active participant in those decisions and I'm not going to sit here and complain to people about it. And uh, FYI, this is something that teachers do a lot actually is complain so much to their peers and um, frankly, I think a lot of what is happening in education is as a result of people complaining so much. If you complain so much about your life, of course, your life is going to be crap. So anyway, so I just remember thinking, you know what? I, yeah, I think I'm over it. And um, what I'll do is I will, and what I really want to do, what does my heart really want? What my heart really wants is is time off for myself. I really just want time off to manifest the things that I'm really, really interested in. And I'm really interested in going to grad school. So I started applying for PhD programs and, uh, and I just remember thinking in the back of my head, how in the hell are you going to give yourself time off and time for yourself and be a doctoral student? It was this tiny, tiny little thing in the back of my head, but I just remember it being back there and I'd shoo it away or what have you. And then I had friends come up to me and they said, is what, you, what you're wanting to do really reliant upon you having more paper, having another degree or having a, a you know, PhD? And I was like, I, you know, I don't, uh, maybe, I don't know, but you know, I can't just leave my my gig, you know, I need to have a reason for leaving. <laughs> Turns out that my reason for leaving was because I just wanted to leave. I wanted to manifest the things, the desires of my heart. And apparently my heart didn't really want a doctoral program because the two, I only, only applied to two. They didn't have the people or the staffing to supervise me. And so I didn't get into those programs. And whereas I knew that I could have tailored what I wanted to say to get into those programs. I didn't really want that. What I wanted was the time off for myself and to realize the dreams that I had of which were creating events for the community, um, creating a path for me to be more known outside of my local community, teaching more yoga, training yogis, um, creating uh, opportunities for people to get together and elevate together and writing. And I really wanted to write and publish. And I thought to myself, you don't have to write and publish for a PhD because ultimately you're just going to be writing and publishing what those folks want you to write and publish anyway. And that definitely was helped by people giving me that perspective. But what is crazy is that all of this happened within three years if you'll recall, I said, when I took the position at the new campus, I said, if in three years they do not have this position that utilizes all of my skills, then I'm out. They did not. And I left within three years. Didn't even realize it until after I put in my letter of resignation, which was super early. I put it in like January, February. Before I even knew what my plans were, I just knew that they weren't there. And, um, and then I continued to manifest or write in my, what I call my book of manifestations. Now, you know, I want to leave with grace. I want my kids to feel loved and affirmed until I am out of these doors and even beyond. I still want to create these programs for students. I, you know, and I, I just put down what my life looked like, uh, in my new way of being. And those are the things that I'm working on right now. I just looked at my book of manifestations. I reread it um, just yesterday and I realized how many things I've written in that book that have actually come to pass and the things that haven't yet come to pass, they're in the progress of coming to pass. And it just goes to show how 
manifesting what you want in your life starts with intentionality of a figuring it out and b writing it down and speaking it out into uh, the universe so that God, spirit, universe, the divine, whatever you want to call that which is bigger than you can actually hear it. And so that is, yeah, that is the the path of manifestations along that way, having a tribe of people who see you, who understand you, who don't judge you, you know, that is such a crucial part of the path. I truly believe, though, that it also takes setting an intention of finding those people. And today in my life, I don't really have detractors. It's just not something that I have around me. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there are people who I know from the past or people even that I know currently who probably talk massive crap about me or throw shade all the time. I don't, I don't care. I don't know because the people who are in my life are people who are supportive and edifying and affirming. And that is not by happenstance, but by setting an intention and creating situations, co-creating situations that would bring me into relationships with those people. And it's also by allowing people to leave when it when it's time for them to leave. There are people that I have in my life who I, I really found to be very important roles in my life, very important mirrors. And for one reason or another, we start going our own ways. And um, for me, it, it takes everything in me to not cling to those people or to let go of attachments to them because I really truly believe that the people who are meant to be in your life at that time and that moment do not require any type of clinging. You know, you just naturally are put together over and over again. Um, so now as I'm looking to manifest the next um, big endeavors in my life, what has been absolutely crazy is that the people and the tribe that will help me get there has just magically come into my life. The, the people people who I who I will eventually work with or employ or uh, whose knowledge will um, bring me to another level, they've just all come into my life. And I didn't even realize it. I did not even realize it when it was happening. But what I did realize was what I was saying. And that was, this is what I want for myself. This is what is going to happen. This is what will happen. I have faith. And that faith is so strong when it, or so important when it comes to manifesting what it is that you want for your life because there will be obstacles. And it's so important. You know, the reason why I reread my book of manifestations was because I had to go back and read my own words and read what I had accomplished and read what I had intended for myself because there are obstacles right now as we speak and i needed that that affirmation that yeah there will always be obstacles and look at all of the things that have already come to fruition if you do the work everything else will show up and i so i do want to give a very uh public shout out to one of my mentors albina rippy who knew that I was in discernment about leaving my full-time job to pursue the desires of my heart. And um, I, I remember telling her, she, or she just read it on my Instagram or something like that. And she messages me. She was abroad. I want to say she was in India or I don't even remember where she was, but she was not in this country. And she sends me a text and she says, leap and the net will appear. And I was just like, what? Like, first of all, how do you even know? But, you know, she'd been following. And she said, and she left me this long message. She said, I know you haven't asked for me for my advice, but I just want to tell you that, you know, if you, if you truly want it, I'm paraphrasing. But she said, you know, if you truly want it, if that's the, that's the desire of your heart, you have to leap before the evidence is there that you'll be fine. But if you leap the net will appear. Just trust yourself. And I know she was quoting someone leap in the net will appear. I can't remember who originally said it, 
But I needed those words in that moment. She had no idea how much I needed those words. And she became my the, the captain of my tribe team in that moment by telling me what I needed to hear, which was to just leap. It didn't matter what I could or couldn't see in that moment. What mattered was me manifesting the desires of my heart. And if I was following my heart, I was following the path that was intended for me. And so she said those words. And so for those of you that are looking to do something in your life, let, let me be those words for you. You know, leap and the net will appear. Do not even begin to judge a situation by what you can or cannot see in the moment. Just speak it and faith it. It will happen for you, especially when you begin to look for those blessings and for that grace that is manifesting in your life. You could have all of the answers and all of the collaborators around you, but if you do not open your eyes to see them, you will not believe that whatever you're up to is actually being manifest in your life. Let people who do not fit in your tribe go. Let the detractors go. There will always be detractors. There will always be people who either very, very visibly and very obviously will speak crap to your dreams. And, there, and then there are those people who do it in a very subtle way. Uh, and all of them need to be on the margins of your life. It doesn't mean that they have to go com away completely, that you have to delete and block or what have you. It just means that they do not deserve to be in your inner circle. Your inner circle is made up of people who love, respect, and affirm you, who see you, who reflect what you already inherently know back to you who, when you do not know what to do, can give you a word to remind you of who you are and what you're realizing for yourself in that moment. That is the purpose of your inner circle and not everyone belongs in it. Most people do not belong in it. Knowing the difference saves heartache and saves time. Because if you have a whole bunch of detractors around, and mind you, some of them are gonna be family, some of them are going to be people who used to be really good friends. Know who those people are in your life. See them for who they are. Like Maya Angelou said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. It doesn't matter if they were your number one cheerleader 10 years ago. A lot changes in a decade. What you want for yourself changes in a decade. When that person shows you that he or she is a detractor, they, they need to move to the outer to the margins of your life, to the outer loop of your life. They no longer belong inside that inner loop. And for those who would gaslight you and who would make you believe that what you want for yourself is, you know, ridiculous or crazy, or who, when you're speaking your truth, or when you're coming out for whatever it is that you're coming out for, and they say things that make you feel weird. It doesn't matter if they meant to make you feel that way. What matters is how you feel when you're with that person. And if how you feel when you're with that person is like crap or feeling like you're less than or whatever, yes, you probably also have your own work to do, but also that person does not need to be in your inner circle. There are going to be people who will be in your inner circle who will never make you feel that way. And also another piece of, of advice while I'm giving advice is to always have people who are further along the path than you. For me, I did not endeavor to be bigger or better than my circumstances without having people who were already bigger and better than, than I could have imagined for myself. You know, I had people around me who were academics, who were PhDs, who were movers and thinkers, who were entrepreneurs, who were doing all these things. And I truly believe that these people were in my life so that I could discern, did I want to go the path of academia or did I want to go the path of entrepreneurship? Um, 
and and when because frankly there's time for all of it until I'm in the grave so having people around me who could see or who were doing things that were aligned to things that I was considering was very important as well that's God's way of showing you what your life looks like before you make the decision and you know recently I, I had the experience of being in the home of a person or on the property of a person who is living the life that I saw for myself. And again, that was God's way of showing me, is this what you truly want? And the answer was yes, absolutely. And that experience totally up level what I saw myself as doing in the future. So those things are around leap and the net will appear, be around people who love and affirm you and be around people who are further along on the path than you who can show you to you, who can remind you of who you are and what you are, whose you are, and for whom you want to do what you're doing. That is how to form a tribe. That is how to manifest your life. And that is my greatest advice for anyone who is looking to do anything that's beyond what people could perceive because there will always be people who perceive you as being a little when you are actually intended to be great. You come down to a lying down position as you set up for meditation. Feel free to pause this recording to get comfortable. And just begin Noticing your breath. Notice your breath's location. Does your chest rise and fall with your breath? Does your belly rise and fall with breath? Notice your natural breath. Now bring awareness to your breath and draw your breath into your chest center. Notice your chest rise and fall. Perhaps your shoulders even rise and fall. Take a full inhale and notice the movement of your shoulders and chest. And as you exhale, allow for them to relax down. And do that again. Take a full inhale into your chest center. And as you exhale, shoulders rest down into your mat or the ground. And now bring your inhale into your navel center. Sense the rise and fall of your belly. As you inhale, notice your belly fill like a balloon. When you exhale, it slowly deflates. Full inhale into your navel center, fill the balloon. Exhale, allow for it to be natural again. Now bring your breath awareness to the space below your navel to your low belly. On your inhale, notice your pelvic floor press down. When you exhale, pelvic floor rises again. Take a full breath in, allow for the pelvic floor to press down. Exhale, pelvic floor comes back to its natural position. Now your next exhale, see if you can send breath to all of those places 
Shoulders rise, chest rises, ribs spread, pelvic floor presses down. Fill the entire breath with your inhale. And as you exhale, your body comes back to rest. And inhale, fill an entire full body inhalation. And exhale, back to rest. And continue to feel that sensation of feeling completely full with breath. And on your exhale, completely empty, creating new space to then be filled again with breath. And now bring your awareness to your belly button and allow for it to travel up a few inches to your upper belly or torso. Give your awareness a color, yellow or gold. And right there in your upper torso, on your inhale, see this color, a bright yellow or gold. And as you exhale, allow for that color to get even bigger. Continue seeing this yellow or gold color right above your navel center. Solar plexus chakra, your house of power. And if you'd like, you can bring your hand to that space to draw your awareness more viscerally to the space of power in your body. And float your awareness outside of yourself and see yourself now lying down or sitting in your home and now in your city. See yourself in your state, your country, and give yourself that light, that color, yellow or gold, and see yourself on earth. And bring yourself back to the awareness of yourself on the mat, seeing yourself lying here on the mat, full of gold or yellow light energy. And in your mind's eye, get up off of the mat and begin walking. And as you walk, you walk into a field and fill this light and crunching grass underneath your feet. And ahead, you notice there is brush, like walls, big green walls. And you notice that it is a labyrinth that someone has created in the middle of this field. in this labyrinth, there's one way in and one way out. And there's no potential of getting lost. There's only one center, and so you decide to go toward the labyrinth. You begin walking into the labyrinth, and you notice these giant, beautiful walls adorned with beautifully trimmed brush and grasses flowers, smell the fragrance of the beautiful flowers that adorn the walls of this labyrinth. Beautiful fall foliage. You see yourself walking into the labyrinth. 
And as you walk in, you notice that there is a plenty of space for you to walk through. Any feelings that come up, you let them just go to the side. Your sense of curiosity continues to lead you deeper into the labyrinth. And you ask yourself on your way in, what is it that it is that you truly desire? Ask the question, what is it that you truly long for? What is it that your life looks like when it is filled with joy and peace? Just ask the questions. Ask any questions that come up for you from your heart. Who are the people who will be in your life in the season of fulfillment and joy? Who are the people who will be in your life in the season of fulfillment and joy? What does your life look like? What is your vocation or career? Where do you live? And ask these questions. Just asking as you meander along the labyrinth path. And you begin to notice that you're coming to the center of the path. And continue asking the question or the questions that resonate with your heart. And then you arrive in the center of the path. And you stand in the center, feel sun shining down upon the crown of your head, feel the warmth kissing your cheeks, Feel the presence of something bigger than you. And receive the answers to your questions now. Just listen for the answers to your questions. Acknowledge receipt of the answers of, to your questions. Acknowledge the fact that you've been heard. Now begin to turn around to walk back outside of the labyrinth to follow your path all the way back out the way that you came in. At this time on the walls of the labyrinth, see your life played out exactly the way that you pictured it, full of joy and ease and calm. See where you will live. See what brings you joy. What is your vocation? See yourself with the people who will help bring these goals and manifestations into fruition. Who are your cheerleaders? And see the people that you will help, that you will bring up as you live out the desires of your heart. See how this helps the world. And see it on the walls of this beautiful meandering labyrinth with its fragrant leaves and blossoms. And continue walking through the scenes of your life as they play out in the fullness of joy. And 
you notice that you're coming back to the entrance of the labyrinth, which is now the exit. And you step out of it and notice the grass underneath your feet again, light and crunching. And you continue to walk through the field and back to yourself in your city and in your home and lying on the ground or the mat. Just acknowledge yourself as having been witness to all that you have seen and experienced. Acknowledge your dreams and your goals that you saw manifest. allow for any thoughts to come back into your mind space, any thoughts about your experience. And take a full breath in. Next, I'll let everything go. And do that again. Take a full breath in. Fill your entire body. Expand with breath. Next, I'll let everything out. You come back to your natural breath. Begin to notice your fingers and your toes. And bring in any type of movement into your body that makes you feel good. And when you're ready, roll over to your left side, your yin side, inside of intuition. And give yourself gratitude for all of the time that you've spent today with yourself, with honoring your true desires, with asking yourself what you truly want. And before you come up out of this fetal pose, commit to living into that new emboldened version of yourself. When you're ready, come back up to seated. I encourage you to write down what you've seen today in a journal, or perhaps it's time for you to create a book of manifestations, for you to start speaking to what it is that you truly desire, what you want for your life. And to begin keeping a record of these, these desires of your heart so that you can see when they come to fruition in your life. It is always my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. You've been listening to Think, Flow, Grow. This is Tamika with Asha Yoga. I'd love to hear your feedback and would love to hear any topics that you'd like for me to address. Feel free to email me at tamika at ashayoga.com. Also, you can go to that website to find out upcoming workshops, retreats, and events in your area.